a man went over to a friend's house. And actually, uh, he's not here, but this is actually a story about Ben. I'm sure he won't mind. About your dad. So Ben went over to a friend's house, and he went into his friend's living room, and he was astonished to see his friend seated at a chessboard playing chess with his Labrador retriever. And Ben was shocked at this. He just stared for a while. And finally he said, That is the smartest dog I have ever seen. And his friend looked up from the chessboard and said, Nah, you're not that smart. I've beaten him three games out of five. (laughs) A dog that plays chess, that would be pretty amazing, right? Absolutely. But even more amazing still is the experience that St. Paul had as revealed to us in today's letter from 2 Corinthians. It's the first century in the Middle East. And the great apostle is writing to the church in Corinth, Greece. And it's a baby church. When? 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 And a brand new Christian movement. And this baby church, it's just been started, it's been recently planted, is sort of wobbling, trying to figure out how to walk on its own. And it keeps being swayed between St. Paul, who founded the church, and these rival preachers who oppose St. Paul, and who claim to have a better understanding of Christ. And it seems they also claim to have had better and more spectacular spiritual experiences. Spiritual experiences. I can remember it was about 20 years ago, I was invited to go to a public middle school and give a talk about medieval Christianity. So I arrived wearing the habit of my order, the Anglican Dominicans, and I gave my talk and the teachers and the kids were very polite and all of that. But afterwards, this boy came up to me with wonder in his voice and potential awe in his eyes. He said, Brother Kevin, have you had, like, experiences of God? And I replied that I had. And he walked away looking at me like I was a superhero as he left with his class from the library. And actually, I was a member of a superhero team back then, and I still am today. In fact, all of us who are baptized are members not of the Avengers, but of the, the Forgivers. The Forgivers, as we've talked about before. Experiences of God. Tell your neighbor experiences of God. Don't be shy. Tell your neighbor. Now, all of us have probably heard either firsthand someone, or at least on television or in text, someone who would claim you have some sort of extraordinary encounter with the divine. Visions, voices, miracles, majesty. St. Paul, in defending his apostleship, indirectly talks about his own mystical experience. Did you pick that up when you were listening? He's talking about his own mystical experience. He says, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. 
Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. St. Paul speaks of himself in the third person. And he refuses to go into any detail at all about the things that he heard and the things that he saw in that mystical experience. Now we don't know for sure, but perhaps these opposing preachers made it a habit to go into great detail about their spiritual experiences and the things that they saw and the things that they heard. Now certainly St. Paul could have done that. Certainly St. Paul could have claimed on the basis of his mystical experience that the Corinthians should accept his teaching and leadership. But he doesn't do that. Instead he makes a move that is both surprising and a little scary when you think about it. But before we get there, I am going to pause the flow of this sermon, interrupt our regularly scheduled program, to share a bit of a secret with you. Sort of a secret. Pausing the flow of the sermon. Pausing the flow of the sermon. Question for you. Have you ever had, like, experiences of God? Raise your hand if you answer that question in the affirmative. Okay, some hands are going up. Experiences of God. Experiencing God, a radical idea? Encountering the divine, an impossibility? Not according to our Christian faith. Christianity has a long line of medieval mystics. Holy Spirit seekers and everyday Joe and Jane disciples who have claimed not just a passing encounter with the ultimate, but a regular awareness of the Almighty. Now check this out, check this out. You can know the doctrines, you can know the teachings of Christianity, you can even believe in them, you can say, yeah, I think they're true. You can even trust in them in your daily life, and yet you can still miss the one who is the source of it all. Have you ever dared to to ask God to actually speak to you? Have you ever dared to actually seek the face of the triune God? There are spiritual treasures... Interior castles, mystic forests, and spiritual cities of splendor for the Christian who is open to God's grace. Have you sought the treasure? Have you ever entered the interior castle? Have you ever walked in the mystic forest? Have you ever seen the spiritual cities of splendor? Friends, there is so much to Christianity than just being a nice person and going to church. There's so much more to God, so much more to the life of prayer, so much more to the Eucharist, so much more to the experience of God. Have you ever dared to seek it, to ask for it? And remember the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, who said, quote, remember, not all that is gold glitters. Resuming the flow of the sermon. Resuming the flow of the sermon. Now certainly St. Paul could have claimed, on the basis of his mystical experience, 
that the Christians should accept his teaching and his leadership. But he doesn't do that. He does something kind of surprising. And a little scary, if you think about it. What does he do? He does not defend his apostleship on the basis of his spiritual experiences, not chiefly, or his vast learning and education which he had, or his impressive track record of converting souls and planting churches. No, he defends his apostleship and his ministry by telling the Corinthians that he is, he boasts that he's weak. Boasts that he's weak. That's how he defends his ministry. In fact, even more scandalously, he tells them in verse 10, Whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Loudly repeat after me. Whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Weak. A word none of us wants applied to ourselves. Weak-willed, weak in spirit, weak in body. And there are some people who go entirely out of their way. They will go to any cost to make it appear to the world that they have no vulnerabilities, that they have no weaknesses at all. Perhaps you've met someone like that. That's a spiritual dead end, by the way. But St. Paul is not bragging about being weak just for the sake of being weak. He's talking about the paradox of the Christian life. Now, despite 2,000 years of speculations, we actually don't know exactly what St. Paul's thorn in the flesh was. But it was something that bothered him. It was something that afflicted him. It was something he suffered from. It was something he did not want in his life. And St. Paul asked the Lord at least three times to take it away, this thorn in the flesh. And here is God's answer to St. Paul's prayer. In verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Or to sort of remix that, and to say it another way, this thing you're dealing with isn't going to go away, this affliction you have, Paul. But my grace, my power, my strength, my love will sustain you, Paul, as you continue to serve me. My grace will be sufficient. A preacher tells a story about a woman, a woman of Christian faith, and this woman had just finished making lunch for her husband, something she did most days of the week, while he was upstairs, down the hall, the door closed to his study. He always closed it when he was writing. He was an author, among other things. And she called him three times, no response. So finally, she went up the stairs, and she walked down the hallway, and when she put her hand on the doorknob to her husband's study, she heard clearly a distinctive inner voice said, My grace is sufficient for you.
She found her husband had died of a sudden heart attack. And this woman and those who knew her testified in the years to come that indeed God's grace was sufficient for her in that dark moment and in the difficult weeks and months ahead. Sometimes it's only in life's dark days that you and I can admit our helplessness enough to ask for God's strength. And sometimes it's only when your strength and mine is spent. We've done everything we can and we still can't change the situation. It's only then that we can humble ourselves and crawl to the foot of the cross. And there at the foot of the cross... In a mystery that those who have spent the long night in prayer and weeping know. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Now, a chess-playing dog. Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. An apostle who has experienced the third heaven. Yeah, that's pretty amazing too. But a God whose grace is sufficient... A God whose love, whose strength, whose power, a God whose grace is sufficient for your weaknesses, your afflictions, your thorns in the flesh, and mine. Well, that's just amazing, pure and simple. So open yourself up and receive that amazing grace again. And again, and again. Amen.